Hello and welcome to Football Masterminds, the show where I attempt to say intelligent things about football, and Russell Toe says Portugal is terrible. <laughs> I'm Reese Desmond, and you are listening to the show where we have loads of intelligent things to say about the game we all know and love, and I am joined by the usuals, Russell and Costa, to kick it off as the Euros kicked off this week. But before we dive in, let's meet our panel. First up, the Calvin Phillips, to my surprise performance, here is Kosti Kapoor. Hey Reese, hey everyone, hey Russell, how's it going? And uh, I, I know in the build-up to this show, we were talking about some outrageous takes, and uh, Russell had the outrageous takes, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna not take up too much time introducing <laughs> what we're talking about, I'm just gonna let Russell do it. Yes, of course. No Euro party would be complete without the man who referenced Copa America last week at the end of our Euros show. Here is Russell Toe. Hey guys, pretty good game so far. I'm pretty happy that Euros is here. Um, outrageous takes or not, Portugal is bad, especially because Joe Cancelo is not in. It's very unfortunate. England beat Croatia, I'm very happy about it, but I'm very disappointed because Harry Kane was extremely poor. He's very bad. And yeah, I mean, like I've watched most of the games. Everything's been good. Um, I'm very excited to talk more about the games that have happened and the games that are going to be happening next week. All right, so we're going to go through every game that's happened so far and discuss all of the the major happenings so far at Euro 2020. We'll start with the very start, Italy beating Turkey 3-0. Does this win make Italy one of the favorites to go far in this tournament? Can they go unbeaten in the group stages? Kosti, what do you think? I wouldn't go that far just because it was one of... It was the first game, and Turkey, even though they're a dark horse, they're still... They're still Turkey, they still play on the counter-attack, and Italy had most of the possession in the first half. Second half was a little bit more open, but then Italy had sort of the experienced players to put uh, put more goals in, and I think Turkey had some great chances, but they couldn't really convert, which was uh, honestly like not expected, but uh, it's like that dark horse feeling where if things click on one day, then it works out. If it doesn't, then, then you have this. Yeah, it can be very difficult to go 90 minutes when you're the team without the ball because it takes a lot of energy out of you to constantly be chasing your opposition around the pitch. And so eventually it was going to catch up to Turkey. And Italy kind of just sitting off Turkey a bit in that second half really made the match a lot more open, as you said, and allowed Italy to actually play on the break for once, which really allowed them to start clicking on all cylinders. So, Russell, what were your thoughts on the match? Do you think this puts Italy on a really good track to do really well here. This was probably the two best dark horses of the Euros. And uh, I'm also pretty surprised that Italy did win 3-0. Italy actually are unbeaten for 28 games. So that's like a good indication of how good they will be in the Euros. I um, I still don't think that they're going to go super far just because I don't think they've been really tested against the strongest teams. But um, yeah, they play really great football. Um I think Turkey is a really good team too, and they just yeah they just beat them three zero really easily. Um, Giorgino Barella and Locatelli are really good midfields. They like the way they connect really good. Uh, I was very impressed with Giorgino. I think he was definitely one of the like the best players in the Italy squad that day, if not probably like I don't know Chiellini or something. Um, Chiellini was really good. Surprisingly, the old guy really pulled it together. <laughs> yeah, and he you know Chiellini probably spent more time in the Turkey half than he did in the Italy half. Because yeah. he had so much 
freedom, so much everything. But then again, like it is Turkey. It's not, you know, one of the top tier teams. So we have to wait and see. But Italy are a good team. I like uh, one of the things I didn't mention was I like how uh, the midfield was really flat in that it, there wasn't really um, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that the L, uh, the right side or the left side of midfielders were going extremely far ahead, but they were like taking up smart pockets in the middle of the pitch uh, instead of going too wide, which I really like when you play a midfield because if you do that, that means you play compact through the middle, and I I really like that sort of through the middle play. So that was really good to watch, and Jorginho did what Jorginho does. You know, he passed uh, uh, his one touch. Passing was really good. He took the ball, passed it around, and then the other midfield players tried to make things happen, which is what you need. Being tested against Turkey, the only thing I would say is um, even when they were tried to play on the counterattack, it was just they were just getting swarmed by Libadi so quick. It was just really hard. I want to see some. I want to if if this team is to go ahead, I want to see this team get tested against a an actual really good counterattacking side. I don't know, maybe like maybe even Portugal with the pace that they have to see which midfielder will then be breaking up the passes. That's what I want to kind of see. Your first point that it was really astute that helped them in transition so much they kept so much of the ball but the few moments where they lost it it was very good to have the positional understanding of their three central midfielders of where to be and already being in very good positions so 100 that is true spinazola was excellent down the left side as well he is a, i think going to be a great threat for italy to have especially if he can just completely pull the right winger of the opposition team out of their role throughout the entire game, which is what ended up happening for Turkey, where Karaman didn't even end up playing at all like a right winger. He played like a right back because that's how high Spinozola was throughout the match. So they, they do some interesting things, Italy. And I think if they can keep hold of the ball to this extent, it will be hard for teams to actually score goals against them because they're not going to have too many opportunities to do so, especially if the few opportunities that they get, Benucci and Kouini are there to block it like they were in this match which is like it was almost like vintage Bonucci and Chiellini which I was not necessarily expecting to see I think a very impressive start by Italy I do think they are looking very strong they will need to find ways to score goals like with their possession because I think their three goals ended up coming more so when they were able to play on the break a bit more and Turkey had players in higher positions that weren't necessarily set up to defend so they will need to find ways as they play Wales in particular who are going to want to sit off them again to actually break Wales down and score through their possession. But a, a definitely a promising start. So let's move on to Wales and Switzerland. 1-1 in this one. Switzerland completely dominant. It was very similar to the Italy-Turkey game. Switzerland had all the possession. Wales just sat deep, defended. But this time... Switzerland couldn't really convert their chances like Italy could. And Wales ended up snatching a surprising goal to tie it up. Russell, what were your thoughts on this one? If I was supporting Switzerland, I'd be really disappointed just because obviously Switzerland deserved to win either 2-0 or 3-0. They played really, really well. I think most, maybe half of the team probably comes from Bundesliga and half of them come from Gladbach. So I think we have that chemis- like team chemistry effect there where you know the players know each other, they're able to link up really well. Um, Wales, I think you have a lot of these star names like Joe Allen, Ramsey, and Gareth Bale, but none of them came to play that day. Uh, but I think 
looking at this whole thing, Group A, I don't know. I, I think Wales probably don't have what it takes to like make the knockout stages. They could probably just get fourth. I was really surprised about that as well because I thought Switzerland have all of the ball here. They have a very good squad. It's not, like I said last time, I don't think there's any stars in here. I think it's a very good squad, though. It's a squad that should beat Wales. Wales did not have the same squad that Switzerland had. They didn't have the same harmony. They didn't have the same understanding of how to play with each other. But Dan James was very good, counterattacked very well on the left side, and ended up causing Switzerland a lot of problems. And eventually, Wales got a very surprising goal. And it was like a corner kick, sure, but like Switzerland's goal was also a corner kick. They couldn't score past Wales from open play. Like, it seems strange to say, but Turkey losing their opening match isn't the worst thing in the world. 3-0 is maybe a big deficit to come by. But do you think, Russell, that Turkey might actually end up beating both Wales and Switzerland on the back of this performance and end up finishing second? Uh, that's really tough because, you know, Turkey didn't play well against Italy, but Italy is a great team. I It's really tough to say, but I think I think Switzerland is actually going to beat Turkey here. You know, I guess I think for sure Wales is probably going to be last based on how they played against Switzerland. I think Turkey will probably, probably beat Wales, and I think Turkey versus Switzerland will be a good game. That's going to be a competitive game, but I'm not too sure who's going to prevail. I think you're probably right that like that Switzerland-Turkey game is going to be a very crucial one. It's going to be very much a decider. We'll move on then to Finland and Denmark. Finland won, Denmark nil. Obviously, the big storyline taking over was Christian Eriksen collapsing on the field due to a cardiac arrest. Um, surviving luckily with the help of the medical team and even some of the players and their quick actions to jump in in the moment but it was a very unpleasant situation Uh, we definitely wish Christian Eriksen well Um, and obviously his survival is the most important thing here but you have to feel that we probably just watched like one of the greatest players of the past decade play his last match in professional football which is very sad in and of itself do we think that this match should have been played today rather than yesterday after what had happened? You know, okay, to be honest, it's easier to say that it should be played today, to be honest, because Denmark did lose. Then, you know, you can come up with excuse and say, yeah, we should have played. Right. But to, to be honest, right? But also, when the game was cancelled, um, because... You know, they didn't even say it was suspended. They said it was cancelled. But I think it was Christian Eriksen himself was FaceTiming the players and the coaches and said, yeah, you guys play on, right? Like, um, I'm okay, stuff like that. And even when I was watching it, I was saying, yeah, play this game tomorrow, maybe in the day after, right? Um, So I was very surprised that they decided to resume this game. Anybody can tell that Denmark wouldn't be the same team when they came back into the second half just because of what happened but i think you know for us to say like yeah it should have been today it was it was christian erickson himself i think he he was kind of like telling the, his team to to move on uh so i think in some way maybe they should have respected that but nevertheless i think it should have been played on a later day that's a good point like how do you say no to the guy who's just had a heart attack and is telling you to go out and play like it is a bit tough there at that point but uh, you could see the emotion on their faces, Kosti, of how how scared they were, how upset they were about it, and 
noticeably shaken up, all of them, it would have been difficult to then go out and play and have the same mindset. Regardless of whatever happens, at the end of the day, if one of the players collapsed off of a heart attack and the t- one of the players on the pitch, especially that it happened to, there's no way you can expect the entire rest of the team to come out and play the same level of intensity and play the same level of game. It's something like that happens at home, uh, for example, and you get shooken up by that. You won't go to work for the next f- while because you want to you know, process that information and make sure A, you're whatever happens to that person is that that they recover well and good and and fine and also you get back to that mental state of giving it your all right so it's just honestly it's just kind of sad to say uh, sad to see this happen um because it's not that the guy had uh dehydration and you know didn't eat well the previous night or you know had like uh didn't drink enough water didn't drink enough electrolytes so this happened point yes I, I would get it i'd say yeah you know what like it's uh it's sad to see that happen it's scary but you know this it's a very minor thing they, just, they were just rehydrated let's 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 play the game but this this person had a heart attack this person almost died this person actually did die and was resuscitated which which is insane yeah speaking about that actually um i think it's quite common practice that if a person suffers from a cardiac arrest or they they um assume that it is a cardiac arrest they actually do cancel the game and they try to postpone it um like the latest i remember actually the most high profile player who has suffered from a cardiac arrest and actually did survive was uh febris mwamba this yeah. it was a long time ago he played for bolton but it was bolton versus tottenham in the FA Cup round yeah like sure it's it's smaller game is a smaller competition but nobody thought twice they cancelled the game um they suspended it and they played they restarted the game from scratch uh in a, like a later date so yeah and i yeah kasi yeah what you said is true like if a player does like maybe he's dehydrated um maybe just passes out uh just because of like i don't know heat exhaustion or something then maybe yeah you, you can definitely continue the game yeah that's what happened with uh Bafetimi gomez and the I don't remember who Swansea were playing on that particular day, but when he fainted on the pitch after scoring a goal and um, people were very scared that he was having a cardiac arrest and he wasn't, he had just fainted um, and they continued the match. Like it is definitely a different circumstance. I I do agree with both of you that I think this match should have been like postponed. And I guess one other thing to note on the Fabrice Muamba situation is again, that was like his last match ever playing football. And, like, I think this is something that's very sad that, like, isn't really being talked about right now. Like, I, we're obviously happy that Ericsson survived, but it's also very sad that, like, this is a player who, like, made so many Tottenham hearts happy, like, week in, week out, and probably will not play football again after that. I just don't know how we get to this point as well, like... Surely with the medical professionals and fitness tests and health procedures that these players have to go through, I don't know how we are not at a point in professional football where we're testing each and every player with a cardiogram or an ultrasound prior to the tournament beginning. I don't think this kind of thing should ever happen, not in a COVID world especially, but not ever. Like These are rich professional national teams taking place at a rich international tournament. I don't know how we don't have the ease of access to make sure prior to the tournament beginning that every single footballer is ready for this tournament in every capacity, including one of their most vital organs. 
that truly doesn't make sense, right? There has to be some sort of protocol. When you sign a player, you have a billion protocols to make sure they're well and healthy. Why shouldn't it be the same way when you're trying to enter a competition? Or obviously, like regularly at the club, this happens. At club football level, um, I can't remember the frequency. It's not before each game or anything, but it happens frequently enough that um, that the club doctor will then schedule every, a checkup of everything. And I'm really surprised that that was that that happened. And I know that Inter Milan's uh, president and CEO came out to say that yeah, he'd never experienced anything. He had never expressed any concern. I mean, I understand that uh, it is hard, but. Uh, to the level at which science is today, I, I, it's not. It's unacceptable that this was allowed to happen. It was. Um, so Denmark end up losing this match 1-0. Finland get their first ever win out of European Championships and their first ever game out of European Championships, with Russia losing to Belgium 3-0. Do we think Finland actually have a chance now at going through when it was looking probably unlikely before the tournament beginning that that would happen? Yeah, I, I think Finland can go through. I mean, Belgium's obviously going to get first, most likely. Finland can probably sneak into third, I think. Um, well, you know, Finland clearly weren't the better team that day. This is also a very classic type of game where you get one shot in the entire nine minutes and you make it 1-0 and the other team... You defend well, for sure, and the other team takes 20 shots, which what happened with Denmark, but um, that win was obviously very crucial and Obviously, it's very unfortunate for Denmark, but I don't think that they're able to play as well uh, in this tournament, um, obviously. So I think, uh, um, obviously, it's very sad, but I think Denmark may not win the next few games. They're, they're going to play Belgium, and I think Russia will probably beat Denmark now. Um, I wow. think Finland can, yeah, I think Finland can sneak into third Um and hopefully they will be one of the top four teams among the thirds, if that makes sense, to yeah uh, to go through. Um, so funny. This was like a like a FIFA like stats page. If you look at the stats page, I'm just looking at it right now, and it's like 22 shots by Denmark, one shot by Finland, shots on target one, and it's one nil, 30 percent possession. Like it's just insane. Oh man, Costi, Finland have one chance and it's just one cross it's just one cross and they got it in the guy he said okay he celebrated for like three seconds and then he realized oh no no i should not celebrate for obvious reasons yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was their first ever goal like that's so tough you want to celebrate with your fans and like rub it in a little bit but you obviously can't because like you just feel awful about what's happened but it is kind of crazy to me that like you're saying denmark might not win the game here like if that's the case then do, are you saying russia are gonna finish second because it looks like finland might actually be who do you think is actually better between those two russell oh russia for sure finland yeah okay will, finland so, poor yeah. yeah yeah finland like yeah. finland could play denmark on another day even without christian erickson and i'm pretty sure denmark would win yeah probably uh, yeah that's why it should have taken place another day <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah let's move on to belgium three russian nil one of my concerns for Belgium past the group stage was how will they cope without Witzel, without De Bruyne? Like, who is going to play alongside Tillemans? And I think that question was sort of answered in Den Donker, who I thought had a, quite a good game. Like, I thought he made sense as a partner for Tillemans because he's very much good without the ball and Tillemans is very good with the ball. So I thought that was an interesting uh, 
an interesting partner for him to have in central midfield and could be actually very useful. Um, but Belgium actually just looked so good, even against Russia, who are not a terrible team by any imag- stretch of the imagination. The two things that come out of this game for me was that the Belgian defense is... I know we talked about like being scared for the defense as well. It's more solid than I thought it would be. Tielemans in the center of the midfield without... He doesn't need to uh, have that sort of holding midfielder uh, role if he has someone like Dendonker next to him because uh, I thought both of them like combined really well together. And also that Kevin De Bruyne is probably back next game from what I was reading based on reports so they another person returning back to full fitness and Hazard returning back to full fitness and then Lukaku is Lukaku is just wild man like how I I mostly saw him in his Manchester United days and like obviously some goal highlights from Inter Milan I didn't watch their season too too heavily but I'm watching him now it's just like that guy is fast strong and can shoot the ball from either foot like that was there's Belgium scary if they get back De Bruyne and a fully fit Hazard. That's that's scary. It's the uh, Antonio Conte effect. But I also always felt like Lukaku was going to be like that kind of player. And it was kind of surprising that he didn't show it at Manchester United. I don't know for the life of me why that didn't work. Because Manchester United, especially under Solskjaer at least, like played that sort of same mix of possession and counterattacking that Inter Milan play. But yeah, he's been very good. He's always been very good for Belgium as well. He's scored a ton of goals. I don't. I think he must be. Is he their top scorer at this point in history? He's. He's. His goal record is in, incredible because he's been on fire for a long time now. And if Belgium end up doing very well at this tournament, a he could win the Golden Boot of this. But B he could be like in conversations for Ballon d'Or and that kind of thing because we know it's all about the six games that you play in the. Euros and the six games you play in the Champions League. So, Russell, what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think Belgium, you know, when I saw their lineup, I was kind of, I wasn't very confident because, you know, a couple of these players I've never seen before. But look, I'm going to be honest here. This Belgian team is not as good as the World Cup 2018. And this Belgium team, look, they were impressive against Russia. But, you know, looking at all three goals, all three goals could have been avoided if they had better mm-hmm. defense, right? If you actually analyze, I'm very confident it will probably say 0-0. I don't think, you know, they would have learned a single one. But, um, yeah, that's not to take away the fact that Romelu Lukaku is a very, very good striker. He's, um, you know, arguably maybe top three best strikers in the world right now. And as yeah. you said, he's like, the Euros is very, very important. Big stage. That is where you want to perform well. After this game, I think I would put Romelu Lukaku as Golden Boot favorite. He's going to come out of the group stages with like six goals. Yeah, so let's move on to England 1-0 over Croatia. Interesting game. England's first ever time winning their first ever their first match at the Euros. I uh, was very surprised to hear that they haven't ever won an f- opening match before. England were good. Croatia weren't. I think that is one of the one of the keys here. We talked about Lukaku and his goals. Uh, Harry Kane looked very sluggish, very slow. I don't think at this point he's going to be a contender for Golden Boot. But behind him, everything else was pretty good. Yep, everything else was pretty good. Calvin Phillips is a good addition, I think. Having him or Henderson come in with Declan Rice, I think, would be key for continuing on like England's good performances and hopefully their domination because both of them give sort of that 
box to box, but also holding quality. It's like a weird mix of midfielders that uh, don't really exist a lot, but they're they're one of the one of the few. And I really uh, really enjoyed uh, watching Raheem Sterling score just because he's had a lot of his doubters and haters, and you know I just uh, I think uh, he's still a fantastic player and he has a lot to give. So it was good to good to see him score. The I, I was quite sure about the the Tyrone Mings edition, but I guess. Well, it's it's hard because Harry Maguire is out. Like, you would play Harry Maguire, right? He's much better carrying the ball out from the back. I wouldn't play Connor Cody in a four, especially not ahead of Mains. I do think Mains is... I think, for me, Mains is better than Connor Cody all ends up. But also, Mains plays in a back four on the left side for his club team. For me, I would start him over Ben White as well. I think Mains is a bit underrated. Like, I, I think he does a lot of things very well. He has very good positional sense... He understands when to dive into tackles and when to hold his position a bit more and hold a more defensive stance. If England are going to have all of the possession, which they kind of did even against Croatia, which usually is a possession-based team, it's okay to have a player who sometimes wants to do things a bit rogue and go a bit long and go a bit wide, which he didn't even do today. He was very just sensible with his passing. And I don't think he is a real issue for England at all really yeah i guess uh, i guess i've just seen a lot of his mistakes as well uh for villa and that's maybe why i'm looking at uh at it weirdly and the other thing i didn't understand which i really want you guys to tell me why luke shaw or ben chilwell did not feature in the game and kieran trippier played left back i know trippier win like he did win the la liga but not playing a left-footed left back when you have two of like world's good like, world's best but like really good players i don't know i i can't like my my head cannot grab this situation and make sense of it it's possible that just in training chill and shaw were both very tired coming off of hard hitting seasons where they played a lot of matches shaw in particular whereas trippier did have like three months off because of his betting ban when i saw it i was like oh but it didn't really make me go like Really? Like, why? Because I think it's still okay to have a player who is that good just swap from right back to left back. But and and also, can can somebody explain why Kyle Walker is always in this team? Because it's very good. He's good. <laughs> I, I had a Reese James. I don't know. I had a Reese James though. So, like, really? I think he's better than Reese James and also more experienced. He's more experienced, yeah. but better still. Like, yeah, I would say so. Okay. Yeah, Costi is kind of like. Um, trying to give an example, like yeah, okay. Anyways, Reese put it very well. It's Reese James I... might, yeah, you okay? Reese James might have been better than Kyle Walker this season, then, but Kyle Walker will always be a higher rated, yeah. a more experienced player, older player, bigger name, stuff like that. And it's like if Gareth Southgate were to put Kyle Walker, it would almost always be a like a good thing, right? Because Kyle Walker is reliable, you know, the safe option. The thing with Walker, like, is he's better in possession. He's better playing up from the back. You would probably go for the slightly more experienced one against, like, Croatia. And then maybe if you're looking for a bit more dynamism, trying to rack up the goal tallies, maybe you go for Reese James in one of these other group stage matches. I don't think Walker will start every single match especially if Trippier is going to play on the left. I think it makes sense that James does play at least one of these games. But I do I do think I would start Walker ahead of James. I just don't think I would necessarily start Walker ahead of Trent Alexander-Arnold, which I think would have been an 
interesting call if Trent had been fit for the tournament. Um, but I do want to pick up on your Calvin Phillips point as well, because I thought he was excellent. He just fits everything that they were trying to do so well. And he's not even really ever played right central midfield for Leeds. He's usually in the Declan Rice position. But being in that position really allowed him to do a lot of his good work pressing higher up the pitch, which was very key to England. Um, and also his ability on the ball was very good. He was very good at driving it forward, which is typical of how Leeds play. They do a lot of forward thinkingness as well, even if it's not vertical and they will go wide. But everything is, can we go forwards? his first look when he gets on the ball is can I actually go forwards with this which is a very good useful weapon to have he's very progressive on the ball which is not necessarily the case for other players who might receive it and then their first instinct is can I go backwards to John Stones or Tyrone Mains I think his fitness coming in right now is key to their uh, English chances at the Euros only also because you might need if you need a bit more uh, defensive two, uh, you, play, you need to play two number sixes. I think um, Phillips or Henderson, who's not fit right now, would can do that job. So alongside Rice, so I think that's uh, that's a great idea. And then you have Mason Mount doing exactly what he does for Chelsea. But none of us commented on Harry Kane too much. What do we? Well, I, I said he was very sluggish, but I know I know Russell has some takes on this as well. All right, I just want to start by saying this is the most high-profile game so far in the Euros, right? England, Croatia, both star teams. Every single player in England came to play. Um, every single player in Croatia came to play as well. Um, but the only player who didn't come to play is the Lord Harry Kane. The Lord uh, Harry the Kane. The Lord Harry Kane. The soon-to-be knighted for whatever reason. For whatever reason, Sir Harry Kane. He was the only one that didn't come to play. He looked lost, right? He didn't look confident at all. Because the thing is, I actually thought this game was the most competitive game in terms of just raw intensity. Every player came to play. Everybody played the part. And it's really, really hard to score. The this 1-0 score... It's not surprising. It could it could have been zero zero, right? If Sterling didn't put it in. Yeah, you know, he, he was lucky. If it was another day, might have been zero zero, but thankfully it was one zero. Uh, Phil Foden actually had a really good shot. Um, he just bent one to the post. Now, if that went in, then the game would obviously be way different uh, to what happened. But no, I wasn't impressed with Harry Kane. Now, I, I do know that he's a great striker. He scored a lot of goals, but I just don't know how. After the first half finished, I was like, guys. We're going to bring on Harry Kane in the second half because I didn't know he was playing the first half, but he turned, turned <laughs> out. <laughs> second, second half, I was like, guys, it's 0 0. Let's bring on Harry Kane. Let's bring on the striker. Let's score Let's some go. goals. Let's go, Harry Kane. Where are you? What? You were playing the whole time. Oh, man. Um, he, I get like the way he plays. He wants to drop deep, but he's not messy. He's not De Bruyne, you know? He's just not good, so... He is very good. He is a very good footballer. Let's make no mistakes about it. Also, like, scoring and assisting goals has very little to do with how fast you are. It is how intelligent you are, and Harry Kane is very intelligent with his movement as well as um, his understanding of where to be on the pitch to make events happen for his team. Uh, but yes, he's running into a situation potentially where he's going to be trying to do too much, trying to operate in the exact same positions that Mount is already operating in, uh, as he does for Tottenham, drop into that sort of left half space and then make looping balls over the top for someone like Son to run onto, in this case, maybe Sterling or Rashford. But yes, I do think he is a bit out of sorts in this England team, and I do kind of worry about that because 
Russell, you think England is going to win this tournament. How can they win this tournament with a slow, sluggish Harry Kane looking not at his best at all? Harry Kane will obviously start every single game. He's going to have to really mess up and play really, really badly for Gareth Southgate to, to say, why don't we just play Raheem Sterling as number nine? He scored a goal against Croatia. He scored against, against, uh, again against Scotland. Damn, he scored twice against Czech Republic. Maybe. <laughs> Let's put... So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, ideal situation. And Gareth Southgate says, why don't play Raheem Sterling at number nine? He is scoring. He's definitely better than, you know, Harry. And put in Phil Foden and you can put in Jaden Sancho then. I'm going to sound very outrageous. The most outrageous I've ever been. I actually want England to get third. Okay, and I'll explain oh, why. Okay. Okay. okay, okay. You know why, right? Okay, look. Because if England get first, which they... Most likely will. They will play France. Okay, I'm assuming France gets first. They basically play the first team or from Portugal. Group F. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, whoever... Okay, look. They don't play the first team in, in that group. They play the second team in that group. Oh, yes, yes. If England get first, they play second of Group F. If England get second, they play first of Group F in the <laughs> following round. In the following round. So first, yeah. England get first, all right? Which is probably going to happen. They will play third place, whoever, right? They'll beat whatever, right? Then they will play France or whoever gets first from Group F. That means if England gets first or second, it's almost inevitable that they will play a team from Group F. I'd rather England get third and your chances of playing the Group F team gets a lot lower. You, I mean, you will still meet them in the semis or the final, but let's try your best. That's to just delay. Yeah, let's just delay it. And, you Hopefully know, by the time they we... get like some sort of uh, uh, injuries Conte. and, you know, yeah. France, Kylian Mbappe, uh, <laughs> Maestro Kipembe and Kante and everyone's injured and then you're done. <laughs> you know, yeah, just keep delaying. By the time you get to semifinals, it's, you go all out. It doesn't matter, right? Just play your you Do it for the queen. Do it for the queen, man. Make the final. Harry Kane gets knighted. That's it. All right. Well, I hope you all had your whiteboards out drawing the diagrams as Russell attempted to explain what would happen in the next stages of this tournament. I do think I am worried for England. I think this was a convincing victory, but I don't think it was that convincing. And I know that their draw moving forward is very tough. So I am slightly concerned. I guess one more thing that I want to talk about this before we move on to the Group C fixtures Blonde Phil Foden. <laughs> Why is Phil Foden blonde now? And did it have any impact on his performance? Because I actually thought Foden was not great either. Uh, you know, he's young, he's talented, he's a big star. He probably he's probably valued as 150 million, but he's you know just because he has a good season. Probably he's like a ritual, I guess. Maybe if he dyes his hair blonde or pinkish or whatever, <laughs> maybe he plays like Prime Beckham. I don't know. Very odd. I think the thing that worries me about Foden is actually how left-footed he is, which I didn't really notice to the same extent until like recently. Especially, I felt like that was happening today, where you saw Foden on the ball and he was trying his like usual Foden things, but players were cutting it off very easily because they knew what he wanted to do was cut back on his left foot. I'm still looking for Jaden Sancho to get time at this tournament, and I'm worried that Gareth Southgate's just going to completely overlook him. But let's move on to Group C fixtures. Uh, these were the two that Russell did not watch at all. So so I'll, I'll quickly comment on the Austria game then and when we can move on to probably what was the game of the the tournament so far with Netherlands and Ukraine. So you missed a good one, Russell. Uh, Austria 3, North Macedonia 1. North Macedonia's first ever game at an international tournament. I wrote a piece on the mastermindsite.com about Austria and their versatility. So you should definitely check that out if you haven't. I'll just quickly give you like the Sparks note version of it. 
which is that by having Alaba and Sabitzer and so many different players that can play in so many different positions, Austria are going to be a very interesting team to watch at this tournament and potentially an interesting team uh, to go far th farther than expected because it becomes very difficult for opposition teams to adequately plan for what is to come when they don't know how you're going to play. And I think that's what Italy sort of found in the first match against Turkey where Turkey knew exactly what Italy wanted to do, set up very well to stop it. The moment they stopped doing their Italy things and they start they started giving Turkey possession and stopped doing things the way they had planned originally, Turkey couldn't cope. And I think Austria are going to be in a situation in this Euros where they can hide a bit more what they actually plan to do match by match and move players around a bit more. David Alpha played in this match as a sweeper of a back three. Like, it's just completely unorthodox. And um, I, I do definitely look forward to seeing Austria uh, in the next match. So both of you didn't watch this one, but you should definitely check it uh, out if you're able to rewatch it. You should definitely check out Austria in their next match because I actually think they're going to be a really, really dangerous side in this tournament that could do well. I'm excited for Austria to play Ukraine because Ukraine were actually looking pretty pretty energetic today um so let's move on to that one our final match here netherlands ukraine 3-2 one of the games of the tournament it just looked like very energetic right from the first whistle so much energy and vibrancy from both teams Kasi, what were your thoughts on this one this was the first i watched of Ve veghorst yeah about veghorst veghorst yeah yeah the only thing with Netherlands I honestly worry about is where the go to where the goals really going to come from, if it's not Depay making things happen day in day out. Like that's uh, I guess Luke de Jong could do something um, magical as well from in in a lot of the games. But that's my only worry is where really does the goals come from? I know Manalden will score for Netherlands like he always does, and he did today as well. But uh, that was still again from like Depay being the center of attention for that move. So I'm. Um, what are your guys' thoughts, thoughts on that? Well, I thought I squashed your concerns about this last week when I talked about Val Veghurst and his his goal potential. Uh, they also scored three goals today. So, like, I don't know if I'm necessarily very concerned about it. I think the back three system will create enough chances that, you know, Denzel Dumfries can get into the box and score a header or... Like I don't think Frankie De Jong or Martin Darun are scoring goals, but I do think if Davy Klassen comes into that mix, I still think he is someone that can add a bit more goals as well. So I think they will be okay. I do think like you know anyone can score from a corner kick or a free kick, and that's kind of, that's what Ukraine did in their second goal. To go back to your original point, and then if Russell wants to answer this one as well, like I think Ukraine's like two moments of magic were a bit odd. Because I was ready to come in here and be like, wow, Netherlands looked amazing. They were like all out attack, very smooth in possession. Frankie Dion looked great. And then for a second there, it looked like, oh no, is this game going to end 2-2? Because I don't think that's deserved by Ukraine at all. But yeah, I think for me, I see goals in this team. I still do. They scored three today. I think they have it in them. Really relying on Dumfries for a goal doesn't make. I'm not saying they're going to rely on him. I'm just saying they're like they have mechanisms through their system by which they can create goal scoring opportunities. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, um, but it's still all for flows through Depay, while other teams have a lot yeah. more backup in everything that they do in life. 
when it comes to attacking. <laughs> and uh, that's my only that, that like that's what I mean by concern. Like if you remove the pie, it'll it'll dry up really quickly because he either does something magical with the ball or takes a lot of attention with him, which means that it's really hard. Then that opens up space for like Denzel Dumfries to go and have two chances and score one of them. And Wijnaldum to even the first goal, Wijnaldum had an open run because everybody was sort of focused on Depay and the striker. And Depay does that really well because he'll pick up the ball and start running with it and there'll be like four players on him. And if he gets that pass away, then they have a space. That's what I mean by concerning is that if you remove him, I think it's going to be the XG is going to drop off. That's fair. I think that actually is a good point. Like if you take Depay, if you take Depay out of the system, yes, I do think that would be for sure an issue. But if you leave Depay in the system, then I think definitely I could see them continue to score at this rate. So do you have a do you have a star of the tournament so far? Obviously, we're not quite done all of the groups yet. Group D and uh, Group E and F are still to go here, but halfway done the the groups. Who's the the who is the star of the Group A, B, and C so far? Oh, Russell, you go first for the stars. This one's easy. Romelu Lukaku. Just because of the goals and his <laughs> overall influence, which allowed Belgium to beat Russia. I'm going to go with Jorginho. Oh. He was very good. Like, the defensive actions he made, the control over the match he had, I I was impressed. I know you guys were as well. The player that impressed me the most in this opening set of fixtures was actually Briel and Bolo from Switzerland. I thought he was very good, and I was surprised about that because I've watched him play a lot at Mönchengladbach this season, and he's not usually even starting matches over Playa and Turam. And he was very electric. Like, Metham and Roden had no chance of dealing with him at all. There's a great picture of, like, him splitting the two defenders, and they're, like, trying to wrestle him to apart, and they just breaks through both of them. And he scored their goal. He was... Very influential. He could have had a hat trick if he had just better finishing boots. Um, so yeah, for me, it was him. I thought he was very impressive. I think that'll be it for today. Continue to send in your questions about the Euros if you have specific questions, particularly if they're about specific matches that you want us to go over, um, because we will be continuing to talk about the Euros, and we do like hearing your questions at Football Masterminds or at Mastermind say, and we'll continue to go over them. Uh, so I guess I just gave away where people can find you, Kosti, but where can people find you? Yes, at Football Masterminds, F-U-T-B-O-L Masterminds. And check out Spin the Ball, which I'm sure Reese would mention, but uh, we'll be doing this one together, I think, the next one, uh, hopefully. And uh, yeah, we'd love to get more of your questions answered and talk about uh, football as much as we can. Yeah, Russell, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at russelltoll 96 at Instagram. That's R-U-S-S-E-L-L-T-H-O 96. All right. So, yes, you can find me at Desmond Reese at Mastermind Site. Definitely check out Spin the Ball like Costia just mentioned. This week we're going to be playing a game show called Would I Lie To? where we're going to have some people tell some stories about football, some experience that they had, and uh, we're going to decide in our teams whether the story is a, a truth or a lie. Is it a true story? Or was it fabricated, made up? So it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're interested in checking that out, definitely don't miss it. We also just talked about the Mount Rushmore of various footballing categories with uh, Adam, who's a writer for the site. We talked about the best managers, the best under-23 players right now. Uh, a lot of topics like that. So definitely check that out 
if you haven't already. But we appreciate you listening to this one all the more on Football Masterminds. And we hope to see you again for the next one as we continue to break down everything that's going on in the Euros. So thank you for listening. Have a good one and goodbye.